Cassandra thought those words. They came to her in her father's voice, an inheritance she had already rejected. It had been her father who treated dealing in human life like blood sport. Her father who saw love and empathy as human fallibilities for an alpha to reject and overcome. Her father, who saw people as only playthings, to be handled and then disposed of as whim and humor favored. It was her father who would rejoice in such killing, and she would never be him, never on her life, ever. But God! so good to kill her. One day, Cassandra woke and knew that she could no longer put off the inevitable. 
She called for Mustafa, newly reappointed to his post as head order officer, and told him to fill a few containers up with water and prepare at least a week's worth of food. Betsy was to be freed, presented with the water and the food, and then Mustafa and his adopted boy, Terry, were to escort her to the boundaries of the city, where the midnight desert began and stretched onward into forever. And what then? Mustafa asked. And then you watch until the horizon swallows her, Cassandra said, and you make sure it never spits her back out. Betsy Overby had not said a single word since she killed the man McRae. Nor had she bothered to listen to a single word spoken to her since she killed the man McRae. None of it mattered. The work had needed doing, and she had done it. No one understood, and it didn't matter. It would have made the man McRae lesser, being killed by any hand but her own. At first, she had raged against the nameless death god she served, he whose eye formed the black sun overhead. How could he have allowed such catastrophe? She supposed all things served his design, even these failures. But how cruel that it should be she, so loyal and so true, charged with offering up this most beautiful of lambs. Oh, yes, she had raged. But Betsy found her calm, and she held to it all the while Mustafa and his pet gargoyle loaded her with food and water. She held to it as it led her out the door and into the street where all assembled were the denizens of the keep and the surviving outliers. Mouths stood silent while eyes screamed hate. She did not care. They couldn't understand. It had actually been the greatest honor her nameless death god could have given her. To be the one to release McRae from the prison of flesh and offer him up to their lord. To preserve his legend. To ensure his immortality. She had opened his skull between her fingers and her only remaining regret was that she had not had the foresight or time to take the meat of him inside herself so that some strain of his mortal self would be with her always. But such are the regrets of life. They walked. 
The crowd walked with them, silent save for echoes of feet off empty buildings and abandoned alleyways. In short time, they passed out of the keep and into the main city, still smoldering even months after Betsy's bombs had burned their last. Ash clung to glass faces like groping hands, pleading for a mercy that would never come. There have been efforts made since Cassandra's victory to clean up the worst of the damage and restore some dignity to the dead. But the ghost of that terrible day hung over the area like a foreboding stench. You can remove a corpse, chase out the flies, shampoo and stain every surface, and still a rot will persist. Footsteps no longer echoed as the walls left were not substantial enough to withstand even a sound. They passed the bones of the long ago slain kaiju, bones now thin and black and little more than part of the landscape. Somewhere nearby was a much smaller, much less substantial bloodstain left from the time Betsy shot a boy through the head for the crime of being near her while she was scared. She had been scared of so many things for so long. McRae had seen that, and he had put her fear to use. And once she had proven herself useful, he introduced her to their new god and showed her that she need no longer live beneath the first, last, and ultimate fear. This lesson above all others she had taken close to heart. And when even the man McRae's resolve had wavered, she delivered him safe from temptation. Mike was the name of the boy she had killed. She did not warn him. They arrived at the line of black sand where forever began. If you have anything to say, Mustafa said, say it now. She did not turn to him or look back towards the crowd. They wanted the victim to weep. They wanted the monster to snarl. They wanted the penitent sinner to repent. They wanted a fitting end to the narrative they would make of her life, the punchline to the legend they would pass down through the years to come. It wasn't their story to tell or to know. None of them understood. The black sand sang in whispers and she heard her name. Betsy Overby stepped over the line into exile, never looking back as she disappeared from view.
For the first day, she followed the whisper deeper into the dunes, without a thought or worry about the world beyond that voice. Night fell, and she rested, eating some and drinking a little. There were, of course, no stars overhead, but grains of the midnight desert shone with the ambient glow left over from the day. Stars shimmering beneath her, she slept. The next day, the voice fell silent. The desert, for the first time, was only a desert to her. The scalding sand stung her feet as she walked. The black sun drew heavy beads of sweat from her brow, stabbed into her eyes with light and salt. Her head swam. She trudged on, the unreal feeling growing more real with each step. She wondered how she came to be walking behind her own footprints. Shadows with sharp teeth trailed behind her, waiting for the meat to drop and rise no more. She managed to stagger her way past sunset, still with no clear idea as to why she had been so abandoned by the North Star she had faithfully followed for so long. The answer came as she raised the canteen to her lips. She was relying on resources given to her by traitors and heretics, eating their food, drinking their water. Her lord demanded more than that, demanded that she be more than that. What he wanted was a sacrifice. A sacrifice she was happy to make. The water gurgled as she emptied it out of the canteen. It hissed as it struck the still warm sand. The food she hucked into the star field below. That night, while she slept content and confident, the toothy shadows crept from hiding and set upon the food that she had rejected. One of the shadows broke off from its fellows to investigate the stranger in their land. There was not much meat on the bones, but not much is still some. But as the hungry predator leaned in for the first taste, it froze. There was a new smell, mixed in with the perfume of sun, sweat, and sand that coated the human. A new smell that was somehow also old. It fled into the ancient places of the predator's mind, the hallowed corridors where millennia ago the basics of survival had been impressed into the core of the species being. A new old smell that said, run. The predator ran back into the shadows. Its packmates came right after, sensing the smell and feeling the panic. Oblivious to all that had occurred, the woman turned in her sleep.
She dreamed that the sand parted to reveal black steps formed of the same stuff. Yet it took her weight and bore her down. She dreamed that out of darkness rose before her an ancient city, stretching for miles deeper into the fathomless bleak. Cancerous shoots twined around and through the spiral towers, long strands of clear infection that bridged house to house and structure to structure. In dreams she knew this place of old, for here was her master's house. Here was the undying place where the death god made his table. She knew without knowing precisely where to go. She passed deep fountains filled only with tears, every droplet stamped like a snowflake. She stepped over sewers choked full with viscera and gore. The dead washed from silent windows, yellow eyes glowing. She came to the house, and in the house was a table. The man McRae sat at the table's head, his face no longer scarred as it had been in life. Only, only now he turned in such a way, only then the light flickered in such a way, and she saw that when he looked at it in such a way, his whole face wore the scar. Eyes peeked from between bunches of ruined flesh. Nose slits quivered as he scented her approach. But then the light shifted back to the other way, and he was once more just the man. His shirt was open, and beneath that his belly too. The golden plate that held his steaming guts shone bright like a noonday sun. She sat beside him and said, What are you doing here? He answered, This is my house. Where else would I be? He sank his golden knife and his golden fork into a strand of gut, moaning with agony as he slid metal through meat. He tasted the cut and moaned again. I don't want to see you in McRae's face or any other face, she said. I want you. I don't want mysterious purpose. I don't want cryptic clues. I want to be with you, my lord. I want to be of you, complete. I want to be unmade and be made new by your hand in your true image. What you wish is for an end to your pain, the death god said. You wish not to have done what you did. Or perhaps, at the least, you want not to care about having done so. Yes, the woman said. Yes, that is what I wish. That the Death God said, is something I cannot do. I could only transform your pain from a thing that aches in you into a thing that is you. You would be your suffering. 
it would be eternal and perfect. No, she said. No, not that. Then you need only sit still, the death god said. He crunched a fresh piece between his teeth. Blood drizzled down crevices of his scars, his one scar that was his face, his face that was all a wound. I will finish with the man soon. Wait your turn. Not that, she cried. Not that. There is only this when you have chosen to bow before death, he said. There is only the eating or the being eaten. Make up your mind, for I know mine. Betsy Overby slumped in her chair. Will I dream when you've eaten me down to the bone? Yes, but then I will eat even more. I will eat your dreams and the memories on which your dreams were built. I will pick the essence of you out of the gaps between my teeth, and the particulate that was you will evaporate as dust in the indifferent winds. Betsy sat up straight. Then make me pain. You are sure? The death god asked. Better to be pain than to be nothing. The death god shrugged. Then you must eat of my body. He took a piece of gut between his red fingers and he fed it through her lips. It was bitter and tough and she swallowed it down. What now? She asked. Continue onwards, he answered. After three days, the shadows will come for you with their hunger and with their teeth. You will allow them. And then, she asked. And then, he answered. And then, and then, and then, and then she woke up. The taste on her tongue was still bitter. For three days more, she wandered, no longer feeling the whispers as they trickled out between her teeth. Each night, she walked across a bed of silver stars. If she had had cognizance enough to consider it, she supposed the death god had not broken any promise or cheated any expectation. All the same, she felt robbed. She spent her last day on Earth 
safely ensconced in bitterness. She cursed the names and memories of all those who brought her to this place. McRae and his daughter, that lackey Mustafa, that boy who stepped in front of her bullet. She supposed that yes, mistakes had been made, but what was a mistake anyway? She had done what it took to survive. It was not her fault that the world was built on fault lines. It was not she who made the world so harsh. She was just one of the few honest enough to be harsh as well. What a world it could be if it was filled with Betsy overbuys, doing what needed to be done. Her last bitter wish was to the black sun, which sank despite her demand that it not do so. But still it sank until all below her, stars sang their rapture at being born new into night. Shadows poured out of the spaces between the stars. She wanted to run, but the god had said not to. And without rules, how was the society supposed to function? They came to her slow, expecting the prey to panic and bolt. She did not, and she would not. They came to her and took her apart, one piece at a time. Until there was nothing of her but pain, nothing but a red howl replacing all cares and all concerns. In newly endless agony, she rose up and up, away from the still twitching mass of her meat self. She floated on ill winds, driving her back the way she came, back towards the city where she had so much pain to pay back in kind. Hi everyone, this is Brendan uh, Foley. I write, produce, and perform Blacks and Dispatches, part of the Punk Podcast Network. I want to first of all thank you for listening to another episode of the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, do rate and review it on iTunes if you get a chance. It always helps. Uh, and please help spread the word about the show to anyone who maybe would be interested uh, or not interested. Uh, you never know. People might like it. Um, I just want to say real quick... Um, that it's a really scary, weird time to be doing something as frivolous as a uh, any podcast, but especially kind of a weird fantasy horror thing like I'm doing. Um, doing things like this helps keep me sane uh, in a weird way. Uh, it's something that can help you know turn off the world for a little bit to do a horror story that's a completely you know fantastical world. Um, and to then put in a bunch of time producing and creating it. Um, I really hope that uh, this podcast, as weird and strange as it is, and as dark as it is, uh, in some way helps you if you are yourself going through any kind of difficult moment, but because of you know the, all the 50 things that are going terribly wrong at the current moment. 
Um, so yeah, so I, you know, like I said, I, I hope that the show in some way helps anyone who listens to it, and I hope that you yourself maybe can go out and create something, you know, whether it's uh, writing something, recording something, creating something, anything that, you know, helps you feel better about uh, being here, some re- representation of yourself, because um, that's, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about, right, is the things we create that remind people that we're here and we're trying the best that we can, uh, no matter how hard it gets, and it is extremely hard at uh, the current moment. Um, so I hope I, my weird, goofy art in some way helps you, in some way helps me, and hope that you yourself go out and create your own weird and goofy art, uh, whether it's, like I said, a song or a story or a podcast or you know, anything, anything uh, to just remind, to just, you know, anything to kind of scream out, here I am, here's what I'm doing, fuck you, you can't take it away from me. Uh, so yeah, so like I said, uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Blacks and Dispatches. Uh, stay tuned. It'll be another episode at some point in June, probably the last week of June, depending, you know, that's probably the plan. Um, follow us on Twitter at Black Sun Show. Follow me on Twitter at the true Brendan F. Uh, thank you to everyone at Cinepunks who makes this podcast possible. Uh, please do listen to the other Cinepunks program you could find on the website. Uh, and also read the Cinepunks uh, writing. There's tons of great writing out there as well on the website. Uh, just a really great community, pointing out tons of great stuff uh, you would do well to listen to, read, and support. Um, thank you, everyone, again, for listening. Uh, thank you to everyone who's out in the streets currently protesting, trying to bring about a better tomorrow, uh, free of the kind of horrible brutality and systemic racism that we're seeing everywhere. Uh, thank you for everyone who's out currently out on the streets and trying to bring about that better world uh, and do uh, you know do the best that you can that's all anyone can do right uh, sorry this went on for so long um, but you know I guess I had a lot of things to say all right bye guys thank you see you next time